1: Diving, diving deep, deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. He is Sean Pendergast And Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome, to Utopia.
0: I got a bunch of mailbag questions, John, that we're gonna we're gonna plow through here. If you're ready to go,
1: I'm always ready.
0: I knew that. All right, so HOU Mailbag at gmail.com. HOU Mailbag at gmail.com. Let's start with our guy, Chris in the in the ATL. The situation Casario was brought into with Easter and the McNairs, the Watson saga, the coaching carousel, all of that while just trying to build a roster, he's done a tremendous job in my eyes. And I admit, I thought he was the wrong hire to begin with. So the question after my setup narrative, is Nick Casario the best GM the Texans have ever had?
1: Well, let me think. They had Charlie Casually to start off then Rick Smith and Rick did a great job of drafting players in the first round. He won first two division titles, two playoff games. Uh, Nick Casario's been here three years. He's won one playoff game, but he was in charge of the rebuild. But I'm not going to say that because when Rick Smith was hired, they were coming off a two and fourteen team, and then Rick had longevity, you know. Depending, and so right now this team hasn't been any farther. Than any than Rick Smith's teams. Now, of course, it's really hard to take Nick over Bill O'Brien, but um, right now I'd say it's still Rick Smith. But Nick Casario is coming hard.
0: Well, I, John, I think Nick's probably two wins away from being able to say, "Yeah, he is." I mean, if they get to the <laughs> AFC title game, then you know it's checkmate. I mean, they, they, there's plenty of plenty of Rick, Rick Smith-architected teams that that got knocked out. Uh, in the uh, well, three, to be exact. They got knocked out by the divisional round. Um, Derwin and Cypress, loyal podcast listener, says, how important is that the Texans get to keep the same schedule over the last three weeks? Meaning Saturday, Saturday, and now Saturday again. Same sleep patterns, days off, etc." John. How, how big is that, do you think, for them, that this is the third straight week where um, today, you and I are recording this on a Tuesday, third straight week where Tuesday is the first day of getting ready for the next game.
1: You want the extra day to prepare, but I think when you get in the playoffs, it doesn't matter if you played on a Monday and you're playing the following Sunday. I don't think it matters. The players are so jacked up and excited and so are the coaches. But if you do have the extra day, of course it might help. If it helps one injured player play the extra day of rest, then that is exactly what you want over the other teams that don't have that regular schedule.
0: Yeah, I think they're kind of lucky, John. It doesn't sound like, other than Noah Brown, who went on injured reserve, who it felt like was just one tackle away from going on injured reserve. <laughs> like, he was so banged up. I give him credit for just getting out onto the field in that game on Saturday. But one pass to him, he lands on his shoulder, and now shoulder's hurt to so go along with his hand, his back. Whatever He had two or three other injuries. Like, he was he was awfully banged up. Um, it feels like they came out of that game, the, the Cleveland game, a, a pretty healthy team. I know Tunsell went into the tent at one point during the game, but he came back out and played into and your point earlier and news and notes played well when he was back in there, I, I, the, you know, unlike some of these other games recently where it feels like there's been, they lose five guys at some point during the game. It seems like they came out relatively healthy in this game.
1: It looked like Tunzel was twisting his kneecap when he was on one knee. Yeah. Hurt after somebody ran into him. I think Juice Scruggs fell on him. In a way he was messing with it, I thought, well, he's done for the year. And then he mm-hmm. came back and continued to shut down Miles Garrett.
0: Yep, did a good job. All right, John, Wale in Virginia. What is the likelihood of keeping Derrick Henry in the division by bringing him to the Texans? He's got that one-cut fitting for the zone-running Coop Shannastani offense. John, would you kick tires on a on a on uh, maybe an inexpensive, oft-used Derrick Henry this offseason if you were the Texans?
1: Well, he showed in that one game that he ran the fourth fastest on the field when he got in the open field. But, And there was a story on him. This is why I haven't given up on Damian Pierce. I was in the athletic before their last game in which he said, I wish I'd been able to learn the zone scheme quicker and better. And I saw it, man, exactly what Damian Pierce is struggling with. So kick tires, maybe. There's no guarantee he's not going up there. If the new coach wants him back at a reasonable price, maybe they'll bring him back. But uh, he, he's he's not – I don't think he's over the hill. I mean, Raheem Mustard's 32, and he scored yeah. 19 touchdowns, something like that for Miami. Yeah. key is you just don't want him carrying the ball 25 times a game. So I would at least check it. Of course I would, especially if Devin Singletary leaves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. John, I mean, it's been a long time since we could say this, but I think there's going to be a lot of guys that want to come play for the Texans, especially on the offensive side of the ball.
1: I I agree with you, but still, you better put you have to pay them. That sounds great. Yeah. They're not going to take a discount to come here.
0: Of course not. No, and I'm not saying that. I, but I think, I I don't think Henry's going to be expensive. I think teams are going to be awfully scared by the amount of tread, you know, not amount of wear on the tread with him. I mean, multiple, multiple seasons where he's touching the ball 350 times. You know, and it looks like at times this year it had caught up to him. So, but that would be fun for sure, Wally. Um, all right, next one, John, from Lorenzo. I've had a question that's been burning in my mind for this whole season, and I know there's a lot of variables to this, but do either of you think that Bryce Young would have had a better season had he been picked at two by the Texans and what he's had in Carolina? I still prefer CJ 100%, but I can't help to think, what could have been with him? It's hard to be worse than Bryce Young was in Carolina. Let's just put it that way. Like he definitely would have been better here than he would have in that cesspool in Carolina. And CJ would
1: not have been as good as if he had played at Carolina because he didn't yep. have receivers. He didn't have he doesn't have an offensive line. You know, their defense was pretty good. But I think if the roles were reversed. One would have been better and the other one would have been worse. But uh and of course, Panthers will say they're really happy with Bryce Young. But, you know, every time CJ has a good game or gets on the highlights with a great throw, David Tepper has regrets because there's a lot of talk over there that he's the one that wanted Bryce Young.
0: It's funny, John. I actually went back last night while the Tampa Bay and Philadelphia game was on, and it was kind of really going through one of its boring phases. I had my laptop out with my AirPods in, so I – on YouTube and I started, I watched some of the Bryce young Carolina coverage right after he was drafted, you know, like the press conference, after he was drafted the press conference that Reich and Fitterer did the night of the draft, you know, the, when they met with the media and it's just, it's a really wild thing to go back and watch now, considering Reich lasted 11 weeks and Fitterer's fired also and I watched the the war room shots of Bryce Young getting drafted, David Tepper calling him on the phone, Tepper and Fitter hugging, the whole room going nuts about Bryce Young. It's a crazy thing to go back and watch now, now that you know that the thing ended in complete smoldering disaster in in Carolina. It's a fascinating watch. I recommend it to anybody, John. If you want to feel good about the Texans by uh, participating in Schadenfreude for the team that picked in front of them, Go watch any of the Bryce Young coverage in Carolina from back during draft weekend. It's amazing.
1: What they should be the happiest about with the Panthers is he played all but one game. And there was uh, all that yeah, worry. Yeah. Worry that because he was so frail that he was going to get hurt. But he 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 played, he played one more game than C.J. Stroud did.
0: He did. He did. He did behind a bad offensive line, too. Absolutely. Um, all right, Mark is in Austin, John. He said, I've been a loyal, some might say rabid, Texans fan since – the early 2000s, when the McNair's were awarded the franchise, and I can't remember a time since 2011 that I've been this electrified about a team. So, Sean and John, the big question presented in your format for real or fugazi: the Houston Texans will win a Super Bowl this year.
1: Fugazi, they're not ready to win a Super Bowl. Wouldn't it be great if they played the 49ers in the Super Bowl in Vegas? Be phenomenal, yeah. D'Amico and Slowik and all the storylines. With that game, all the former Texans coaches in San Francisco, well, Santa Clara with Kyle Shanahan, it would just be, boy, like homecoming for all the people in the organizations. And, uh, but uh, I'll tell you this I said this when Deshaun Watson was at his peak. I thought they'd win Super Bowls with Watson. And I think based on what I've seen of Stroud, because it's all about the quarterback in the NFL, and then you got to be an astute GM to fill in around him. I think the Texans will win their first Super Bowl uh, with C.J. Stroud. And if they win Sunday, if they were to upset Baltimore, and I'm writing a column about this today, it'd be the first time Houston's had a team NAAC championship game since the 79 Oilers.
0: Yeah, no, John, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I think unlike Deshaun, CJ has a better head coach, I think, and a real general manager putting things together. You know what I mean? Like Deshaun was. Well, you didn't
1: think B was any good when he was assistant interim GM.
0: No, I no, I I went back. through Josh his McCown. Moves. I went back through his moves, John, and I just you know, I, you're right. I wanted to give it a chance, and I went back through his moves, <laughs> and it turns
1: out he sucked. You wanted to give it a bad <laughs> chance.
0: God. All right, Uh, Charles emails into the mailbag. Outside of his contract, do you think Watson regrets being on the opposite side of the Texans? What do you think was going through Deshaun's head while that game was going on on Saturday, John?
1: People want to say uh, he's happy that Flacco uh, looked bad. Well, Flacco wasn't coming back under any circumstances. And he's probably thinking, man, I remember – when it was like that in 2019 and we beat Buffalo and everybody was so fired up, but I still got 230 million guaranteed.
0: That's kind of what Charles is saying. Yeah. Like outside of, yeah, he's, he's got his money for sure. I, although I do wonder like, okay, like, congrats, you got, you were making 39. Now you're making 46. You weren't not going to get your money from the previous contract. Like what's the number where, like, what's the number where, where it's okay for you to kind of have lost your professional dignity somewhere along the way, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's kind of what it is. Like, if you just <laughs> stuck around and kind of let the thing fix itself, I don't know. Um, I'm, I just, I just know I'm glad it's played out the way it has, John, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, Charles also asked, where would you rank the playoff victory on Saturday compared to the other playoff games? I know you like questions like this, John. Where would you, Texans won four other playoff games before this one. Where would you where Would you stack rank this? I think the only one we can have a conversation about with this one is the very first one with the JJ right. Watt pick six. I
1: think this would be number two to that one because it was the first in history and the Watt phenomenon was born. We didn't think anything special about JJ up to that point, and it was uh, fans were so hungry because it was the first division title. Anytime it's the first, it's big, but boy, this one was right up there. But, um Cincinnati was favored, just like uh, the uh, uh, – who they just beat? My mind's gone. Blown. Cleveland. Cleveland. Cleveland was favored. So, I think the first one. And if they win this one to go to the AFC Championship game or whenever they do go to the AFC Championship game, that will become the biggest in team history.
0: Yeah, we'll talk more about this game coming up on uh, Saturday in our Thursday episode because I want to go through that with you, like where we feel – we won't do it now. We'll do it in that episode. It probably fits a little better. But, like, where do we feel like this particular Texans team, how well-equipped are they to pull off the upset compared to the previous, you know, the four predecessors that have been this far? Um, we can talk about that more later this week. Um, Good. So just a, a tease, I guess, for the audience out there, John, because I know a lot of people are wondering just, man, what, just, what exactly are their chances? This nine-and-a-half-point spread is right in line with where it's been going into this round for all of those other Texans teams, other than the Brock Osweiler one where it was a 16-point spread going up to New England. Um, All the other ones have been between 8 and 10 somewhere. So the Texans are right in that, at least spread-wise, in that meaty part of the curve. But this team feels a little different than some of those. We'll talk about that on Thursday. A few more here, John, in the uh, mailbag. John Burnett says, Brevin, Jordan, and John Mechie both had their best games this year in the previous game. Can we start to expect more out of these two? Um, and I'm assuming he means for the Ravens game coming up on Saturday.
1: Yeah. Well, Brevin had one catch, and it was a great run. wasn't a yeah. great catch, wasn't a great throw. It was a great run. Xavier Hutchinson. Xavier Hutchinson had a great block to clear him on the sideline. He made a great cut, and then he just outran everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's not a tight end. He's more like a big receiver or an H back, and he he was tremendous. And yeah. I think that would have been his fourth touchdown catch this year. Mm-hmm. Now, Mechie, that was his best game. You know, we've talked about that he has not produced the way he should. And that gave us just a glimpse of what to expect from John Mechie the third next season when he is uh he's finished uh, overcoming his torn ACL and his battle with leukemia. That's yeah. why Nick Casario traded into the second round to get him.
0: Well, they're going to need him. and no Noah Brown, John Mechie, John Mechie and Xavier Hutchinson are going to get those snaps now. So, Yeah, Robert Woods Mechie.
1: will be gone. That's why I think wide receiver will still be a priority in like the second or third round. It'll be Tank, and then it'll be Collins, and then a new receiver.
0: Yep. Uh, Mario, well, I'm going to save Mario. Mario is asking a question about how we think things are going to play out against the Ravens. Let's save that for Thursday this week. Sorry, Mario. Um, Ryan from the Sug, John. Ryan from the Sug is back. The Shug being Sugarland, I assume. Um, Listen to Payne and Pendergast this morning. Sean, you said, quote, the stadium was the loudest I can remember since 2011. Yes, I said that about Saturday's game. What other seasons were like this excluding 2019 because it's recent memory, and how do they compare? So this is such an exciting season and feels like it restores some respect to the franchise. Can you compare this season to any other season you've covered this team? Only
1: only 2011, not 12, because they had home-field advantage. All they had to do is win one game. They blew it, and they went in to the playoffs. And even though they beat Cincinnati, nobody thought anything special about the team. The 11th team was special because of Yates and because it was the first and 19 was, you know, when they beat Buffalo here and then they go to Philadelphia, they go to Kansas City and have that 24-0 lead. OK, they choked it. But then when O'Brien traded Hopkins, every the negativity toward the organization just uh, was so enhanced that nobody was happy with anything that happened after that because of all the negativity off the field. And so uh, this one. And I've been telling people this, I have several former Oilers have been texting me about the Texans, asking me questions like they don't say they haven't kept up, but they're interested in knowing things about them. And I think that's a good sign. And Mm -hmm. one of them said, I see signs of this team, uh, uh, things happening to this team and the way people feel about them in the community, the way they did when we were the Love You Blue Oilers, which I thought was very interesting.
0: Very interesting. I wasn't here for that, John. You were, but I know how beloved those Oilers teams were um, through stories from you and others at that time. Um, Do you think that we can, much to Amy Adams' strunk chagrin, do you think we can steal all those old Oilers and now they are aligned with Houston Texans exclusively <laughs> and want nothing to do with the zombie oilers up in Nashville. What do you think? We can we pull that off, John?
1: I don't think with I think you're not gonna pull it off with a lot of them because she has reunions up there every year and treats them like well, they wouldn't Rocky. be allowed to
0: go, John. They can't and go now, to the if you reunion. Can't let them,
1: if you can't let them go. The one that's the most uh best possibility is Bruce Matthews. Mm-hmm. Bruce was sitting right in front of Janice McNary and his wife. Yes. Cause I went in to see Janice and talked to her before the game. They shot a picture of us and I tweeted it while I was talking to her. And it's like, I tweeted during the game when it was third quarter and they had a big lead. I bet Buffalo's run through Bruce's mind a time or two. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, Bruce, who has said in an interview I did with him before he was inducted into the gridiron legends, um, uh, that he said he thinks Columbia Blue should be in Houston and not Nashville, and that's not a popular thing with the Titans organization.
0: Mm. Good, I'm glad he. When speaks the team his mind. was
1: moving, Bruce was the most outspoken player about not wanting to go. Yeah, and uh, he also, I remember one time I did an interview with him. He said, "If Buzz that desperate, I'll, I'll I'll give him a couple of grand to help him out."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bruce rubbing a couple quarters together. Here you go, yeah. Bud.
1: Here. <laughs> Um, One time it started the 93 seasons when the cal- salary cap was being implemented. Nobody knew what it was. The mm-hmm. GM Floyd Reese was new. He didn't have a clue. But they were a talented team coming off three consecutive playoff appearances. And uh, Bud came to spring training in San Angelo, or this case San Antonio, for his annual State of the Oilers address. And he stood in front of the players. And he told them. You better win this year because something called a salary cap's coming and you guys <laughs> make too much money. We're not going to be able to Jeez. keep you together. And players started throwing $1 bills at him like he's a dancer.
0: <sighs> like a stripper. I love it. Like a whore. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, last one, John. This is from our guy, Joe Q, who I, I may say so. Joe Q, I don't know what you do for a, an actual job for employment, but if you ever want job as either like a research analyst or – Uh, Like, in uh, you know, uh, some sort of producer for this podcast and the radio show, John. Look at all this research this guy did.
1: That's impressive, right
0: here. He's got a chart and everything. All for this question, John. The question's for you. He said, There's a question for John. Can you recall a time ever in the past when an NFL head coach had two former teammates on his roster? D'Amico Ryans played with John Weeks and Kareem Jackson. He says, I don't know the answer, but it seems highly improbable and he goes on to list all the things that would have to be true in order for that to happen you know like the how few coaches are actually former players to begin with you know to even have teammates um, you know to how young the coach would have to be in order for the to have teammates that are still playing and so forth um, can you ever recall John a, a player or a coach I should say having multiple former teammates on his roster
1: no but I haven't thought about it you know younger no. coaches are getting younger now. Guy like Sean McVeigh, if he played in the NFL, he's going to run into a lot of players he used to play with because he's like thirty when he got the job, but he didn't. And so you look around at some that are in their thirties. But I, if it's if it's not unprecedented, it is extremely rare. And uh, John Weeks actually played with him for two years, Kareem uh, two or three two years. years, two, two years, years. Yeah. and uh, they were there for the last game of Demico's career. playoff loss at Baltimore
0: in Baltimore. Yeah, absolutely. Hey John, real quick before we, uh, before we duck out, did you see, I know you saw this, the, the, the video of the footage of JJ on the field with D'Amico at the end of JJ's last game that surfaced this past week. Oh yeah. Where he told D'Amico go make Houston great again. Um, this was before the job. This is before Lovey had even been fired. You know, like Lovey was still it was the day <laughs> Lovey got fired like 10 hours later. Um, but but that was that day. Uh do you think there was just a, a major assumption that D'Amico was going to be the head coach of this football team at that point in the process?
1: I think JJ was just guessing because they interviewed a lot of really good candidates. Yeah. Pete Johnson, Shane Steichen, Ivorow, the defensive coordinator at the time of the Broncos. But that's like I I told him before the first before the preseason game here, that was an Amazon game. I went over and told him I want to be the first one, congratulate him on being a head coach. And he thought I was crazy, but I I knew that after he came back for one more year, he was gonna be a head coach. And I just said, here. But I didn't yeah. think there's any way Lovey Smith was gonna Pep Hamilton, he's gonna put it, Pep Hamilton in charge of the offense and it's gonna be the worst ever. And so I had no idea Lovey would be fired. I thought he'd make two or three seasons, and D'Amico would be somewhere like Denver.
0: Thank God they fired him and hired D'Amico. Oh, and my God, God goodness.
1: God. Don't thank you know God. in Denver, they don't, well, I'll say they, the media doesn't like Sean Payton. He's always been really hard to deal with. But when they see how popular D'Amico is here, and he would be popular in other cities, but not as popular here because he was so beloved and respected as a player.
0: If I two cities, John, if I were in Denver and I was watching D'Amico Ryans coach the Texans with Sean Payton in Denver, and I and and it may still turn out fine. If they win a Super Bowl, then everybody, who cares how big a an asshole Sean Payton is. Um but for now, if I was in Denver watching D'Amico or Carolina watching CJ Stroud, I would quit watching football. Ooh. I would take up some I'd start watching tennis or something. I'd take take up some other sport or cocaine. <laughs> or something like meth. I don't like alcohol, alcohol. will do. Alcohol, whatever. Just something Yeah, I'd be drinking heavily, especially Carolina. I think Peyton may end up getting it turned around in Denver. I don't know what's going to happen with Bryce Young, and I do know C.J. Stroud is going to be around for a while.
1: Well, that would thing, be that would be tough. The thing about Carolina, I think D'Amico would have been too smart to go there because he would have had multiple offers. They were the first team – he, All of them wanted him, and he ruled them out immediately. And I'm yeah. guessing it's because Tepper's reputation. And Jimmy Sexton is his agent, and Jimmy's really good. Probably yeah. would have told him, you don't
0: want to go there. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Does Jimmy Sexton – do we know who represents Bobby Sloick?
1: Uh Jimmy Sexton. They have the same Sexton. agent.
0: Okay, okay.
1: I think they're all – I think Sexton does all of them now. Does he? Except Sean Payton. Okay, He's so Sexton Donald is Lee. like
0: – Sexton is the he's the guy for coaches that Bob yes, Lamonte he, he, is the guy for front office people. Right? Bob
1: still has a lot of Bob has a lot of coaches that but uh some of them have retired, but yeah. But Bob's he, got uh, Casario
0: and Easterby's got and all Casario those yeah. and
1: he's got Jack Easterby.
0: Yeah, Easterby who the biggest the hottest free agent out there <laughs> in front office must have been
1: a favor to Casario.
0: Yeah. Um and then uh and I guess player-wise, probably David Mulligetta these days. It seems <laughs> like
1: Mulligetta Lamont has been around forever, yeah. and uh, he doesn't take them on immediately like he used to. You know, At one point, he, he still got Andy Reid. He had Holmgren. All those Packer coaches, that he had Holmgren because uh, Holmgren was, had been at his high school. And so that Holmgren tree, they all went to Bob Lamont, and he did a great job. And he started picking up the front office guys. but. Sexton is that big agent when it comes to the coaches. And he's not like, say, Scott Boris, who's just going to go where the money is. He wants the people to be happy and go to the right spot, like Nico coming to the Texas.